everyone, and welcome to episode 293 of the MTG Goldfish Podcast. I'm Seth, probably better known as Saffron Olive, and we have the full crew here this week kicking things off with the owner of MTG Goldfish, Richard. How are you this fine Labor Day, Richard? Hey, Seth. Uh, it is sweltering as we are in another <laughs> California heat wave, uh, but we have a ton, and I mean a ton of previews. Wizard's pacing is a thing of beauty. <laughs> yeah, we we are pretty close. I think tomorrow is actually like the last full day of spoilers, and then they have like commander deck stuff after that. So we've got almost the entire set between last podcast and today. So we had a ridiculous amount of Zendikar Rising to talk about. But before we get into that, we have another co-host in Krim. What's up this morning, Krim? Morning, Seth. I am right there with uh, Richard, enjoying this ri- like ridiculous heat wave uh, and these crazy like wildfires right now. Well, not really enjoying it. I'm doing the opposite of that. <laughs> yeah, hopefully y'all are uh, staying safe out there. California's been crazy lately with all these fires. So uh, anyway, we have Zendikar Rising to talk about, and we have like a million cards. Seriously, our list is super, super long, which means we should probably start talking magic. But before we do... A reminder that our show today is brought to you by Tigtone in Tigtone Returns for Season 2. With Tigtone and his magically regenerative sidekick, Helpy, facing down all new mischievous monsters and enchanted chaos on their all new baffling adventures, Tigtone is created by Andrew Kohler and Benjamin Martian, who serve as executive producers with Blake Anderson of Workaholics. The wizards at Titmouse Animation have created a Tigtone universe that is beautifully unsettling. And you can watch Tigtone. Tone Season 2 when it premieres with back-to-back episodes Sunday, September 13th at midnight, only on Adult Swim. So thank you to Tigtoad for supporting the podcast today. And let's talk Zendikar Rising. Richard, take it away. Walk us through these ridiculous spoiler cards. All right, let's talk about new mechanics. So there are basically two new mechanics. Uh, there is a party mechanic, a thing that's being called modal double-faced cards, And then the return of Landfall. So Landfall, we all know and love. When a land enters the battlefield, something happens. uh, From the original Zendikar coming back. Uh, Let's talk about the party mechanic. So all these cards with the party mechanic uh, say uh, this spell costs one less for each. uh, Or it gives you a bonus. Uh, So this spell costs one less for each creature in your party. And your party consists of one of a cleric rogue warrior and wizard it's so bad you know what's so bad about this it took me like five minutes to figure out what the party mechanic was because the reminder text is not on all cards uh some cards just say like for each creature in your party and you're like hold on what are the actual creature types needed to be in your party (laughs) and it's actually not like clear anywhere if the card doesn't have reminder text because it has like too much text on it so i i mean i think you guys think that I think it's fitting, though, because remember, like, allies last send a card, you never knew it was an ally or not. Now we just don't know if you're in the party or not. So I think I think it's kind of, like, on point for Zendikar. But, I mean, the mechanic, ah, it feels incredibly win more to me for Constructed. Like, if you think about it, that's four creatures of different creature types you need on the battlefield to have a full party. If you have four creatures of different creature types on the battlefield, do you really need the party card for it to be good? So I'm pretty skeptical that the full party cards will be good. On the other hand, some of the cards I think are 
pretty good even if you just have like a party member and i think those cards are probably decent like uh, if you just happen to have like one creature you get a bit a bit of a discount on a card that's already like close to being playable i think maybe the best example of this for me is uh zargris which is a six mana four four flying haste double strike with a bunch of other text on it like questing beast style but it costs one less to cast for each uh creature in your party so if you can have even just like one or two party members and get a like four mana four four flying haste death touch or a five mana four four flying haste touch i think that's actually a good card so i'm pretty skeptical of like having four creatures of different types to have a full party but some of the standalone cards i think are are decent and it's probably sweet for limited yeah i mean like that's pretty much the point i was gonna bring up. I, I think you don't need a full party for like some of these cards just to be awesome on their own uh, and I think I like if you get a full party, then it really is a, like a win more, right? Like I mean, yeah, but but yeah, like so there, there's a good amount of cards where I think I could just play on their own, actually. Yeah. What's weird about this is Wizards announced there's a D and D set coming soon. This yeah. feels like a D and D thing. To, like, why is this mechanic not saved for that set? Uh, it seems a well, little red. Who's to say they but, don't add more? But yeah, when I read this, I'm thinking like D&D. Like, yeah, let's just gather a party and then go adventuring. Uh, I guess that's their intent. But like Seth said, in standard, you probably don't have a third creature. (laughs) You probably have like one creature in play. And you're like, well, if I commit one more, I'm going to get Wrath. So yeah. So I don't know how this will actually play out. It's probably going to be a big player in limited where you might start playing like one mana one ones to fill out your party to power up some spells. So it seems cool for limited, but I just don't see any point in, like, it's just too much. Like, you just do not play four creatures in standard and play a fifth or or something like that. Like, you're just too far ahead and you don't want to walk into a wrath. So probably limited only or EDH mechanic. I don't expect to see much standard play. Except for maybe, like, was it Tejuru Paragon? Because it counts as all the things. Well, sort of. So right? just so it's clear with those cards, it count. I thought that at first that like, oh, this is a full party, but I actually like tweeted something about it and it counts as any one party member. So if you had four of those, you would have a full party. Yeah, each well, creature can only count towards like one I type you could, in like, your party. What? Yeah. I thought you could like combo with Mutavolt and then it was going to be really yeah. sweet. In older oh, no, no, that'd be so broken. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, so you actually need four creatures regardless. Like you can't have a full party without having four creatures one way or another. Wow. Why? <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I mean, Mutavolt would just break the mechanic otherwise, well, right? Because Mutavolt- basically all of your spells cost like three CMC less if you have a Mutavolt on, right? For, For two mana? Changelings would be insane. Yeah. Or one mana. Yeah, okay. Okay. All right, that, I guess that makes sense, but you know. But why? <laughs> That's what, I, I, yeah, you just gotta put together a party and get slaughtered all together in the same board wipe, you know? Like, I, that is pretty <laughs> cool, Ride together, though, you die together. <laughs> we'll have Throne of Eldraine's Adventures, which some of them already fall into the party, uh, like, type. And then we'll have the D&D set with the party mechanic and all of this, too. So that <laughs> that's pretty I, cool. I think it's actually pretty cool that they have kind of this plant for the D&D set. So my guess is, right now, there's not really enough tribe members, for the most part, to make really good tribal decks around the party tribes. Like, uh, clerics, well, for example... No, no. I Seth. mean, you can play rogues. I yeah, know, yeah. Thank you. you. Can play thank rogues, you. But you've been playing rogues even before, <laughs> <laughs> even before Zendikar Rising. So I don't know if that counts. <laughs> 
But also I, true. <laughs> but I guess I would assume the idea is then we get a bunch more tribe members in the D&D set, and then maybe you can play, like, an actual cleric tribal deck or something. So right now you can play these cards as, like, this weird party, like, four creature types mashed together tribal deck. And then once we get more uh tribe members from the D&D set and maybe other sets this year, then maybe you have, like, legitimate cleric tribal or whatever. Yeah, I, I want to see, like, a lord. I want to see... So most of these cards, like, reduce the casting costs uh, if you have a party. I want to see, like, when you, let's say Cauldra, you have, like, a party assembled, everyone gains indestructible, plus three, plus three trample, <laughs> right? To, to make yeah. it worth adding that fifth creature to the battlefield or whatever, like... It's I, four, I, like, right? You need you four. Need, it's four, yeah. So the fourth creature okay. to the battlefield, you know, you just get a big swole buff and you just come in and, like, murder your opponent, right? So, like... <laughs> Uh, like, you know, like, uh, the, uh, with the green ascension, whatever it's called or something, right? Or just get a coat of arms effect or something. Like, just boom, Tron, you're dead. <laughs> Tron. All right. I mean, yeah, I can't wait to this yell is harder that than out, Tron, right? It's four permanents. <laughs> I mean, you can And they're still... creatures, so they die. I mean, that's true. You can interact with them. Turns out that would be pretty fun. Uh, you know what's weird, though? Planeswalkers can't be part of the party. That's a little, yeah. a little sad. That's because they they fly solo, you know. They're, they're all on their own stories, doing their own things, doubling people's mana. Or uh, wait, not this set. Sorry. <laughs> all right. Next up, we have modal double face cards. MDFC. If you see that acronym online, is what people are calling them. Basically, double face cards are back. Uh, except now, when you play them, you get to choose which side uh, is played. So they don't transform. They don't flip. You just basically choose which side you want to play. Uh, and, uh, an exciting new land cycle, uh, rare land cycle is dual lands. So we have the pathway cycle. Um, it's not even a cycle. There's like six of them or something. They don't That's all really, is that all? They, yeah, they have all. They, they, well, there's, there's six so far, but they actually announced that the other four are coming in Kaldheim. So we will have yeah. the full 10 cycle when we get ah. the next set this winter. Uh, so basically, so here is the black white one. So bright climb pathway is one side. The other side is grim climb pathway. And it's just a land. So they don't have their basic land types. And then, uh, untapped. You just tap at a white. If you play it, uh, face up with the bright climb way or you play it, uh, on its backside, grim climb pathway, just add a black. So dual lands, but you have to choose when it enters the battlefield which color it will produce. I I love this. I I think these lands are they're so good. Like they like the they do not have the type, but if they did, these would be probably the best lands ever. I mean, but like I I, I do really really think these lands are amazing. Uh, it, it's it with with a uh, gate crash leaving or whatever the the current Ravnica set is. Uh, with that leaving, we, we desperately need mana, right? We're losing watery graves, we're losing all of the shock lands, so it feels good to have this, plus triomes. Yeah, so, I'm actually kind of man these lands, <laughs> in all honesty, like, okay, so, they will obviously see a ton of play in standard, because you gotta play whatever lands exist. I like that they do come into play untapped all the time. On the other hand, they're only ever adding one color of mana, which, 
I think is actually a pretty meaningful drawback. Like, one of the upsides of dual lands is you can, whatever, play your hollowed fountain on turn one, you can use it to path the exile, then you have a bunch of blue mana when you need the cryptic command a few turns later. I think people might be underestimating just how clunky it is that these are essentially basic lands once they hit the battlefield. Like, you have choice when you play them, but on the battlefield, it's really not any different than playing a plains or playing an island. So... I think they're good, but I actually think they're like kind of a second tier dual land cycle as far so, as like behind shock lands and fetch lands and real dual lands. So this is exactly why I like them because you can't. So when we have too many good dual lands in standard, like let's say we have the shock land and check land uh, two cycles in standard, basically everyone plays like three or four color good stuff. Uh, this prevents that, right? Like your lands can't produce anything at any time, but they do fix your mana, right? So to me, they're better than scry lands and whatnot. Like an aggro deck can actually play a two color aggro deck with these lands, but now everyone can't just jam four color good stuff. Like let me cast triple green on turn three and then like white, white, black, <laughs> red Rider. or something on turn four. <laughs> You're like, what is going on? Right? Like, so I actually like this and it actually makes your decisions matter, right? On turn one, when you play this land, did you choose the right thing? Did you sequence like three turns ahead to know what your mana requirements would be? So I yeah. think it adds like a skill level to it. So I actually really like these lands and they're probably fourth or fifth best land cycle. So obviously dual lands, shock lands, fetch lands are better. Uh, maybe check lands are better. Fast lands? fast lands. Yeah, fast I, lands. I think these probably are better, better than fast lands. These are fast, better than fast lands. Yeah. Mm, but fast really? lands. No, I, I, so if you I, had a modern like deck them. with fast lands, would you really replace it with these things? Well, the reason why I like these more than, the, cause like the fast lands, I, I, maybe once again, because the decks I would play. <laughs> cause on turn four, <laughs> you always get shafted by. Your it, like, lands. well, <laughs> like, like I don't want to draw a land that comes in and play tapped, right? On like turn four or something like that. Cause oftentimes, uh, like I, I, the, the tapped clause is pretty bad for me, right? So I, I like these a lot more for that. Yeah, if you play a two color deck, I think this replaces those. But like, yeah. I would, I wouldn't play this in Jund, right? Like, I'm like, I need my, I need my, uh, I need my mana. So yeah, I actually think they're pretty high up there. I, I, I mean, would I say they're better than than the fast lands, but that's only because the decks I I tend to lean towards. Yeah. I would say that they, yeah, I mean, I think they're very good in two color decks, and especially if you're like mostly one color and splashing a second color i feel like they're very good there but i feel like they're actively really bad in three plus color decks like i think they're yeah. like uh, like one of the worst dual lands because like, they're not dual lands really on the battlefield so i think for two uh for two color decks or like mostly monocolor with a splash they're great but three four five color meh like pretty underpowered i'm telling you richard's birds would have won the mythic championship if we had these lands <laughs> and we didn't have to play freaking guild gates on turn one just to make our man work <laughs> richard's birds <laughs> okay but wait wait it doesn't stop there guys we're not done with lands okay these are like just straight up like lands on both sides we have spell on the front land on the back and uh we'll start off with our spicy juicy mythic cycle so all the colors get a big splashy mythic where the front side is, you know, some mythic in that color, slightly overcosted. The back side is a land that enters the battlefield tapped unless you pay three life. So a lightning bolt land. Uh, and, uh, I'll give you an example. We have Seagate Restoration. Four, yes. 
blue, blue, blue. So that's seven CMC. Sorcery. Draw cards equal to the number of cards in your hand plus one. You may, uh, you have no maximum hand size for the rest of the game. Flip side is uh, a land. Tap to add blue. Enters tapped unless you pay three life. So I, I think this one is like getting overlooked. Uh, this is just a solid card. I mean, I, I think so. Uh, just cause like I'm, I'm gonna, like, if I have nothing to do, it just becomes a land, right? Or if I need the mana early, it becomes a land. But, like, sometimes when you draw, when I'm very good at drawing lands in the late game, uh, <laughs> I actually now have a spell. And I, and, and I think a lot of these cards are gonna, they're gonna tinker with, like, the deck building, like, uh, like, philosophies in most decks. Because, I mean, how many lands can you play now with verse, because now you can play more spells in a deck. Uh, that, like, a while back, I, I loved how, like, the reason why I love Companions was because it allowed us to always have something to do, right? At all points of the game, we have something to do. And I think these new, like, double-faced cards are perfect for that. Like, it can be a spell like this, or it can be a land when you need, so there's always something to do. So it may not look like the greatest thing to do for, like, like seven mana, but when you're flooding out and, you know, you need to do something, it's better to draw this than a land. Right. And and like of these, the four that we've seen so far, I really like the blue and I really like the green one. Uh Oh, Simic. Uh, I mean, yeah. So I feel like, yeah, the blue one, I think the green one might be the best one across formats that we've seen so far, because I think it's going to be a modern staple in Primeval Titan decks. Uh, but I think really, as soon as I saw this cycle, I think this is close to companion level broken. Like, I think this is. That's exactly what I was thinking. This is. <laughs> Like, I don't know. Like, I, I almost can't like believe companions. that they did this. Like, this is <laughs> going to change magic across formats. Like, it, I think people are sleeping on it. I'm, like, surprised. Like, people see these cards and are like, oh, that's kind of, like, overcosted. I'm like, no, it's a land. Like, you take <laughs> yeah. a basic island out of your deck and you get this mythic that draws you a ton of cards. Like, why wouldn't you play this as a four of? And, like, obviously, again, you kind of got to be one to two colors. They do only add one color of mana. So if you're playing, like, five colors, it's going to be hard to have any land that taps for a single color. But I think these cards are... The closest thing we've seen to a companion level mechanic, like in the last couple of years, like I think it's very close to that good and that strong. Last couple Uh, of years, you mean like Uh, you mean like last like six months? (laughs) (laughs) Okay, the the most broken mechanic of the set. (laughs) So that's why I love it. So okay, okay. So we didn't like Uro, right? And the problem with Uro is it fundamentally messed with some of the parts of Magic that we've been relying on, and the fact that. You know, if you're spending your time ramping, you know, if there, if your payoff doesn't come, you die. Or if you, you get flooded by payoffs, you die. Uh, stuff like that, right? This one allows you to basically play no finishers. Uh, or, you know, like if you're a control deck traditionally, uh, and you have like a seven CMC finisher, the aggro decks are wishing that you draw multiple of them in your opening hand so that you, you know, you miss your land drops or you have these dead cards and then they run you over. Now you can just play your land, uh, keep, you know, going up, making your land drops and then just kill them with the seven mana spell. So you, you really remove that aspect of the game. And the real question to me is, does this three life really matter? It's not free, right? It's three life, <laughs> right? Does it matter enough? So when we see shock lands, like two life doesn't matter that much, right? Uh, just is, is three life the tipping point? And especially in standard where you're more creature heavy, but, uh, some things to, to note, right? You now have a land that pitches the force of will, right? You have a land that's not fetchable, 
right? So, uh, it, you know, you can't just remove all of your islands from your deck and like replace them because you can't fetch an, an island, a basic island anymore. Uh, these things are soft to wasteland, blood moons, things like that. Uh, you can't play them off of an Uro uh, because it's a, it's a sorcery. Uh, so there are some downsides, but there's upsides, right? Now Belcher can play, you know, lands, right? Because they're not actually lands when you're belching. So they're pretty interesting. I feel like they're going to be broken. It, to me, it's a mistake. It feels like we're entering Nefalia Drownyard Standard where now you don't standard. need to play finishers a, anymore. Your, your deck is just all really answers and lands. You can't get anything done and they'll just outcard you because now they get a free spell on their land or a free land on their spell. So I'm a little concerned. I'm a little concerned. I expect to see these cards in all formats. Maybe not companion level dominance, right? Because, you know, if you're an aggro deck, you're not going to play seven mana spell. But there was always a companion for an aggro deck. But I, I do feel it's going to warp magic. And I'm a little I mean, but why not? A little concerned. I guess, I guess that's the thing. Why not? Like, you can play, well, let, let's say, mono red, right? For some odd reason, you could just drop four mountains and play the Shatter Skull Smashing card or whatever, right? Oh, I think you do. Like, right? I don't know like, why, why you not? Like, sure, yeah, like, like, maybe, like, I, I don't think the three life thing is actually a big deal. Like, people were playing all odd or even converted mana cost cards to make companion <laughs> work. You're not going to convince me that paying three life, I, you don't even have to. You can play it tapped if you want to. Like, that's fetching out a shock land on tap, which a huge percentage of modern decks do on turn one, like, every game, and then followed up by a thought seize to go to 15, and, like, that's no big deal. Like, I can't imagine... There's no big deal, like... yourself. <laughs> <laughs> it really I hurts mean... my soul that that has to be done. <laughs> <laughs> like, once the black one gets revealed, whatever it is, just think about that line of play. Take uh, three the... thought seize, go down to 15. <laughs> yeah, the best would be if you could fetch it, right? Then you could, like... You could be Death Shadow. You could turn one, oh. fetch, pay... Death <laughs> pay Shadow's three life thought this. seize. Wait, would you, would you, I, I guess I, I would think about it, right? Like, it, if you're predominantly black, like using black mana in Death Shadow, then, yeah. then the swamp one, why not take three? Heck yeah. We'll have to see what the black one does. We, that's the one that we haven't seen for the mythics yet. What do you think about, I know we've been talking mythics so far. What do you think about the lower rarity ones, which are essentially the same? As far okay. as how they're formatted, with the big change oh, yeah. being the, enter the land comes into play tapped. How much does that power these down? So I think or the best one is be Hagra Mauling. So two yeah. black, black, instant. Uh, this spell costs one less to cast if an opponent controls no basic lands, destroy target creature. And then the backside is uh, tapped out of black, but enters tapped. I think that's great. I mean... This is, this is a removal spell, right? And when you're, when, like, in a control matchup where I know I don't need, like, 50,000 removal spells, this can now be a land, right? Where we're playing a mirror match or something like that. Uh, like, I, I think the versatility of this card is just, it, it, it looks nothing, it's not flashy, right? On the front side, but it is a very good card. Yeah, I think, so I become a little bit more skeptical of, like, legacy and modern in specific when it comes to the lands that come into play tapped. Like, I think, Maybe they still have some chance in small numbers, but I think as far as like standard and even historic and pioneer, I think uh, something like Kagra's Mauling is very, very strong. I expect this to be a, definitely a staple of decks in standard and like mono black devotion style decks, two three color control style decks. The power of these cards is 
essentially you get rid of mana flood and mana screw. Like if you yep. play a We're decent number of these in your deck, it, it literally is. Like you, you just, it's impossible to flood or screw. You're always going to have enough lands to play your spells and you're never going to have too many lands to play your spells. So I feel like, I don't know. That's the part of, of this that feels like it changes magic to me in the way that companions did where all of a sudden, like, where does the variance come from? I've already, like, here's my concern with this mechanic as a whole, is, like, we've already talked a little bit about, like, with changes in design and rules making it so, oh, like, they have Fires of Invention on turn three every game, and every game feels the same. Like, is this mechanic just going to push us even more in that direction? And more towards, like, Hearthstone and no variance and, like, seeing the same exact cards every single time on repeat until you, I don't know, play something other than Magic? <laughs> I, I mean, like... Even though if, like, it, it ends up being, like, you know, there's something to do every turn and, you know, you might see some of the same stuff, I I don't know. I, I like the fact that there are a ton of decisions, It kind of like the pathways, right? Like, okay, well, am I going to need this land for later or am I going to need this spell for later? Well, I need the mana now. Uh, like, I like that. I, I like that decision tree that it adds to the gameplay. I mean, we'll, we'll see once it actually plays out, but right now, I like it. I mean, I still like the idea behind having mechanics. I mean, the the companion mechanics. So, I don't know. I mean, I like that. I like having something to do every turn. Maybe it's because I played a lot of Hearthstone and all of that. Uh, yeah, I don't know about Hearthstone madness. Like, I understand where Wizards is coming from. That, like, you you know, the 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 games that end in like frowny face on Magic Arena are <laughs> yeah. the games where you flood or you screw, right? So this almost removes that entirely right like if you build your deck right you can remove it 100 you just have too many tap lands right but that's part of the strength of magic like the resource trade-off and all of that stuff like so i don't i don't know i think it does fundamentally change how magic will be played we saw when they did companions that was not a good fundamental change it, it, you know we can make fundamental changes that are good like for example uh removing damage from the stack right uh, we did that. That really changed how a lot of cards worked and how combat worked, and we're better, right? Or we removed mana burn. Le- legendary right? rule change. Legendary rule. So it could be good, but I, I feel no. I feel this is going to be miserable. I feel like... I mean, but none of these uh, effects <laughs> feel that broken, right? It's just they're very... Like, you know what I mean? They're very just, yeah, right? Like a murder. Okay. Like, you can play four Seagate Restorations to guarantee on turn seven you always have this card with basically no punishment, right? Which is I different, mean, right? Like, as a control deck or, you know, as a top-end deck, right? Like, being able to always whip out your high-end finisher with no punishment is really strong advantage, right? So, I... I mean, I don't know control, about this. C- come on now, Richard. Control decks. <laughs> the opportunity, the opportunity cost is just so low because you, it is. They're, they're coming to your land shot, your land slot. I think one of the examples I used is like, and maybe this isn't the best example I know, but like, look at Ramana Bruins. Ramana Bruins, it, it comes into play untapped, of course. It costs five mana and sacrificing a land to shock your opponent. Five mana for a shock. That's a one mana spell and it doesn't even hit creatures. And that was so good. It was banned, <laughs> banned in standard. Like any value that you can get out of your land slot is incredibly powerful because you're, uh, because of the opportunity cost, essentially. Like the opportunity cost is so low. So even little tiny amounts of value, like a five mana shock is bannably good. 
in standard in Ramanapru in case. Uh, and I feel like, so I feel like these cannot help but to be incredibly powerful because a lot of them are offering way more than a shock for five mana. Like they're offering more value than that. They're like maybe one mana more than you would normally pay for the effect coming on a normal card. Uh, so I feel like these have to be insane, right? Like by that perspective, if you look at the lands that add value that have seen play across formats in Magic, like these have to be just absolutely absurd. But three life. <laughs> Can you imagine in standard if your opening hand was three of these and you needed to play stuff? You're like, I'm down to 11. Hello, guys. <laughs> like, I feel the three life might balance it in some formats like i feel three life is not a well modern modern i don't know if i can free like if i'm not death shadow i don't know if i'm gonna just freely <laughs> hit myself in the face like for that much yeah. but i am but a- guaranteed you can put one or two of these in your deck right the question is can i jam like eight of them <laughs> in my deck? i mean i want to jam a deck with all of them <laughs> i want to be a five color deck have like no lands i mean i like and it just seems like it'd be a lot of fun to try i probably wouldn't win anything but it'd be funny I mean, with all the with all the lower rarity ones, like I think each color is getting what at least three uncommons uh, of the flip cycle. Like, you could build a two color deck with no literal lands. Like that actually seems very possible. Like, yeah, you'd have more tap lands than you would like, but that's an actual thing you can do in standard for sure. Oh yeah, I mean, like I, <laughs> I mean, I will try. I don't know if it wins, but it, I will try. <laughs> well, like, I although hope it although win. your lands can now get duressed. <laughs> oh my. that that yeah, is true that that is a fun that's other argument people use <laughs> i love that <laughs> getting your lands duress feels so bad <laughs> but if you have 40 if you have 40 or 50 lands in your deck because half of your you know lands are actually spells like eh, whatever you can also like use bounce lands to recast the spells right yeah, there, there are like there are tricksy things you can do. I, I feel Earl might save us in standard. You're like, well, I can't play a Seagate Restoration off of Earl Trigger, so I can't play four of these. I'll only play two. I feel yeah. that will be a consideration. Uh, so yeah, we'll see how it goes. I, I think that's why modern players are so excited for Turn Timber Symbiosis or Symbiosis is like super synergistic because you can play the Amulet Titan deck. You play it early game as an untapped land to do whatever you need to do. And then later in the game, when you need your Primeval Titan, you just bounce land it back to your hand, cast it, find your Primeval Titan, which that seems really strong to me. Hmm, that sounds like an Eldrazi, uh, oh, what's, what's the band? The Eye of Ugin. <laughs> that's what it sounds like to me. Ooh. All right, right. we should probably talk about other cards, though. Yeah, okay, there are more cards than these modal double-faced cards. Oh, by the way, throw your transparent sleeves out the window. Uh, They're not going to have checklist cards, so they basically have a blank card now with pen. You need to write what the card is. (laughs) Oh, that's going to be so awkward. People uh, are going to see my three-year-old handwriting. I don't know what this does to draft as well in person, but yeah, all of the fun of double-faced cards come back, so get those black opaque sleeves ready <laughs> uh okay uh, let's go let's talk about omnath locus of creation we are on zendikar so omnath comes back more colors red green white blue four cmc uh legendary creature elemental when omnath enters the battlefield draw a card landfall when a land enters the battlefield under your control you gain four life if this was the first time this ability has resolved this turn uh, oh, you gain four life if it's the first time the ability is resolved this turn. If it's the second time, add red, green, white, blue. If it's the third time, Omnath deals four damage to each opponent and each planeswalker you don't control. Is, okay. 
It's like double and triple landfall. <laughs> I know it's kind of like already you're already winning, but or maybe maybe you're not winning. But like, isn't the teamer or whatever Ketria ultimatum? Can't you can't you like hope to hit like four lands or something? But I don't know if I want to hit four lands off my ultimatum. Yeah, I mean you. It's obviously good with things like that where you can put extra lands into play. Like it's it's a powerful card. The stats are good. It's got strong abilities. It can ramp you into Ugin really quickly, especially with the help of like uh, a fabled passage that can get you there super quickly. So I feel like it's a really strong card. The only question is, we've just been talking about how kind of like the whole design of Zendikar Rising seems to push people towards like one to two color decks to take advantage of all these lands. So my only concern is, how easy is it going to be to cast, like, this four-color four-drop in standard, like, in any reasonable amount of time? Like, do you think the mana cost is going to keep it from seeing play in standard? Risen Reef rotates, right? Oh, yeah, it does. Yeah, all the elemental payoff stuff, the old Omnath and Risen Reef, all that stuff rotates. I don't know, then. Like, because, I mean, you could try to play the whole, like, <laughs> four of every triome, but then, like... You know what I mean? That you're like, oh boy, you're you're gonna have nothing but tap lands. I mean, I guess we got Lotus Cobra. Maybe it's some yeah. sort of landfall ramp deck where you're trying to like Lotus Cobra and then like Fabled Passage to fix your mana and play it. This card's bad. I don't think you want to do any of this, right? Like, yeah, I don't think you want to. Like, what are you really accomplishing, right? You warp your mana to play this four mana four four that I guess replaces itself with a card draw. But then, like, first landfall does nothing, right? It just gains you life. Second landfall does also more of nothing. Like, it just gives you more mana. I guess you can go from four to Ugin, but that's about it. Third one, so remember, you had to somehow play three lands on one turn. You just deal four damage to each opponent Planeswalker. I feel all these payoffs are not really worth it. Uh, so, you know, you, you could have played it in the old Elementals deck, but that rotates. So, like, I don't know that you play this at all. Like, triple landfall is pretty hard to achieve to for, like, such a mediocre payoff. Like, just play a Lotus Cobra. Like, I don't know, right? Like, I don't know, like, all this, all these hoops you need to jump through for four additional mana. Yeah, I mean, a four-mana 4-4 four, four that draws a card when it comes into play is not, like, a bad base rate. It gets around the dies to Doomblade argument. Although, maybe the thing I'm most excited for is the it does die five-color Omnath <laughs> that we'll be getting in a few years <laughs> on our next return to Zendikar. Yeah, That's it, the it, best it, part about this Omnath. Sets up five-color Omnath. <laughs> Uh, all right, let's talk about favorite green planeswalkers. Uh, Nissa, Shadow <laughs> of, I don't know what this word is, guys. Bows, bows. <laughs> How do you boss? <laughs> what is this word? Well, you don't. I, I don't think it's like the you you and like the G. I don't think you would say that. So it's well, definitely boss. not bogs. <laughs> yeah, <Okay>. like <laughs> bows. Let's go with bows. I don't all know. Right. Uh, uh, two black and a green. So Nissa is now Golgari. Four. Starting loyalty, uh, landfall. So Nissa has a static. Whenever a land enters the battlefield under your control, put a loyalty counter on Nissa. Plus one untapped target land you control. You may have it become a 3-3 elemental creature uh, with haste and menace until end of turn. It's still a land. Minus five. Put a creature card with converted mana cost less than or equal to the number of lands you control on the battlefield from your hand or graveyard with two plus one plus one counters on it. I, I don't think you understand the sigh of relief I had when this was re like revealed. <laughs> I, I just kept, I made sure I read this card even like up and down like 50 times and I saw that nowhere on it, it doubles its mana. So 
once I realized this isn't doubling mana, I then looked at it again. I'm like, okay, this is actually a pretty cool card. I think it's pretty powerful. Uh, the landfall part of it specifically, right? Cause you go, you can play it and immediately like play Fabled Passage, right? And then, and then crack the Fabled Passage. And now we've already gone up to like, you know, six loyalty. So you can already bring something back. And uh, like, I don't know, an elder, uh, like crayon creature. What's the, uh, Gargaroth. <laughs> I, I don't know. Yeah. I, I, I was going to call it Elder Crayola, but like, that's not, that's not what it's called. <laughs> yeah. Elder, Elder Gargaroth, Questing Bees, something like yeah. that would be good. Like, you can do a lot right there. And of course, you know, it wouldn't be Nissa if she didn't animate some kind of land and do something, right? But once again, you know, it's not a vigilant land. So, I, <laughs> hey, you know, I'm okay it with has that menace. too. Vigilance has been uh, replaced. Whatever. I wasn't blocking it anyways. <laughs> <laughs> but, but like, the thing is, it's, it's still giving you a land, and, you know, it, it's only until end of turn. And, uh, like, so it, it's still doing what Nissa kind of did before, a little bit like World Waker. But I really like the landfall on it, and I like the minus five. I, I, I think, and it's it's not that hard to rebuild the loyalty after you give use the minus five either. Because there's tons of ways for you to just get lands into play with Cultivate and whatnot, Fabled Passages. So, you know, like, it, this, this just looks like a solid four-drop Planeswalker. Yeah, this feels like a, a card to me that I really like it. It's a unique design. It definitely doesn't feel broken in a scary way, which I think is definitely a positive. And uh, that landfall static ability, I think is pretty powerful. Like being able to keep adding potentially multiple loyalty each turn is going to let you use that negative five ability, uh, you know, way more frequently than you would be able to otherwise. Maybe every third turn or something if you're playing fabled passages and some cultivates. And I think that's like actually pretty powerful. It reminds me a little bit of uh, Amonkhet Liliana, where you you have a plus ability that kind of makes a creature, and then a minus ability that can reanimate stuff. Uh, and I think that was a pretty decent Planeswalker for its time. So I think this is uh, good. Definitely not broken, but I'm happy that it's not broken. I'd rather have it just be good than broken. Yeah, none of the Planeswalkers this set seem broken. In standard. Uh, I think you guys are, really are sleeping on Nissa. I, well, you, I think she's well, really think, good. Like oh, really I, good. I agree. I agree. She's really good, but she's not broken. Real okay. Give me your. Okay, give me your. So I don't think she's like. Okay, is she totally meta warping like Teferi? No, <laughs> right. But I think she's extremely, extremely strong. I think that minus five is really good, given how good our creatures are in standard right now, and the fact that this thing, like this thing, is almost impossible to kill in combat. Right, like. If you think about what's happening, like every turn you're gaining uh two loyalty and a three three blocker at minimum. Well, it's uh, not permanent. You don't you lose the land at the end of turn. Wait, what? Yeah, you don't lose the land. It don't Oh, the land goes Oh, wait a minute. Hmm. <laughs> yeah, I no no. I, I know why you would think that. Trust me. I I, I, I know why you would think that. You don't have I'm I not may reevaluate my decision. I thought the land was permanent. Okay. <laughs> hmm. Hmm. But I don't know, I, I feel like, so on turn four, like reanimating questing beasts and things like that, like we have a lot of big beefy green creatures. So I actually still think Nissa's good, maybe not as broken as I thought before, <laughs> but still really yeah. good because you can keep bringing back questing beasts and things like that. And Nissa, like the loyalty will jump up really high. Like these, these planeswalkers that can basically increase their loyalty without plussing, I think are, are really strong. So I actually am excited to, if a mid-range deck is viable, and it 
has green, what do you mean? which is, you know, shocking, I know. <laughs> this <laughs> will be played. <laughs> right? So this will be played in standard. I'm confident in this. But like but it has to be in a deck that is gonna be more creature heavy, right? It can't yeah. be like the Saltai style that's just like four Uros and you know, maybe like well Hydra Crisis rotates, right? But like four Uros and let's just say Elder Googlioth Gar Gar Gargaron <laughs> Gar- Gargadon, whatever. That card uh, like, yeah, like, eight, it can't be, like, eight creatures, right? You, you want it to be actually creature-packed. And, and if that's the way Golgari decides to go, it, like, that that's the direction it goes in, that's pretty cool. It'd be really refreshing to see a mid-range deck that isn't just trying to ramp into Uyen. Right? <laughs> that isn't like, just trying to draw cards. <laughs> yeah, isn't dra- outdrawing you and just going to... Like, it feels... <laughs> like, if, if I could see a Golgari rock-style deck in oh. standard again... Like, oh. I, I, yeah, I know, I know. Think about that, Richard. There, oh, there. I can duress your lands too. Oh no, what is the standard? <laughs> like, that's. I would love to see that. So, I think though Nissa will definitely still kill me because of that animated land clause. But, and maybe even reanimate Questing Beast to kill me. I think it's a, a powerful card, a balance card, and a refreshing thing to see. Uh, when it comes to, like, all the Planeswalkers from this set, I really like the design of all of them. Oh, wait, what's that new Carnage Tyrant? Hold on. <laughs> what if I no, reanimate no, that No, 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 Richard. No, 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 no. First, can we just... By the way, side uh, note, let's stop printing can't-be-countered hexproof creatures in green. Like, you know, you know, like, let, let's stop that. I don't know why we uh, keep doing that. <laughs> I don't I don't care if it has no trample, by the way. If it's a 1-1, I, I would still be upset, all right? I feel like we need to have at least one of those in every format. I mean, we're losing... Uh, when was control what was, good? <laughs> when uh, the control has been removed from, like, tier like one. A, like a month ago. You've had, to fe- like, three years of dominant Teferis. It wasn't no, that no, no, long no, no. ago that Teferi no, 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 no. Hero of Teferi Dominaria sh- was Tef- tucking itself as the best okay. deck in the format. <laughs> that Well, maybe because of the last two years, it's felt way longer, but the thing here is... <laughs> Like, yeah, okay, three fairy doesn't count because three fairy dunked on control, which I thought was control's greatest ally at the beginning until it got <laughs> resolved against me. Uh, but, but yeah, like, come on, stop with the one, like the X, whatever, XX uncounterable hexproof stuff. Like, come on. Good thing but, I'll just use Ether Gust that rotated. Okay, just wait, I, I found the card. It's not that good, okay? It's seven mana, six, six. Spell can't be countered. Hexproof haste. Kicker three, if it was kicked, enters with four plus one plus one counters, which is totally irrelevant because this thing's being chumped like all day. <laughs> so, by yeah. by what Castle Ardenvale and that's it. <laughs> yes, <laughs> exactly. Hoping, Castle Ardenvale. You're hoping, and what happens when they when they decided to give it a little bit of trample with I don't know Garrick or something like that? <laughs> this, this ain't no Carnage Tyrant. It's only a rare. <laughs> it's I, also oh oh, oh get out. <laughs> Also a little sad that it doesn't actually beat Uro. <laughs> Your seven drop, you actually have to kick it to actually be able to get through an Uro. So, eh, I mean, maybe a good sideboard card against Grimm's. I would definitely <laughs> sideboard in against Grimm. <laughs> Otherwise, I don't think you could really main deck it. <laughs> All right, moving on. Uh, we have Morag, Fury of Akum. Four red reds, so six CMC, six six. Legendary creature Minotaur Warrior. Each creature you control gets plus one plus zero for each time it has attacked this turn. Landfall. Whenever a land enters the battlefield under your control, if it's your main phase, there's an additional combat phase after this phase. At the beginning of that combat, untap all creatures you control. So what you're saying here is Death Bell a war cry, right? It's time, time. <laughs> 
There's not enough Minotaurs, is there? I don't, I don't think there is. No, there yeah, <laughs> probably probably not enough to really go Minotaur tribal. Although you can in like historic, historic or like yeah. pioneer, not in not in standard though. But 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 you could already won in historic if you casted it right. Death Pillow War Cries because you just get yeah. you double the like you give your thing double strike with Terror of Mount Velas. So who cares? Yeah, you can you can win without it. Although I still think this is a really frightening card. Like. This card feels insane to me. Every land drop is getting you an extra combat phase. So you play this, and then you, like, I don't know, cultivate, play a fetch land. Like, it seems so easy to have four combat phases. Or you can go really in deep, uh, really deep, they spoiled Nahiri's Lithiform, like this weird sort of, like, scape shift s <laughs> card to try to get a bunch of lands into play. Like, is this card just insane or no? Like, I don't know about standard. It is six mana. If you want to do something with it right away, it needs to be like seven mana so you can make an extra land drop. So I feel like maybe it's safe and standard, but isn't this like a busted commander card where you just play this and essentially just win the game? No, because Uh... most players will play it incorrectly. (laughs) (laughs) So the way it's phrased, you have to play your land on second main. Uh, If you play it on first main, you basically did nothing because you don't get an untap until the extra combat and the extra combat happens before your real combat. So what you need to do is play it during second, uh, do the landfalls during second main. Uh, but like Seth said, I think this card is insane. Uh, commander, like, it'll be like a shoe and staple everywhere. I think I could see play in standard. Uh, yeah, just taking, like, just taking the, A, if you untap with this thing, the, the game is over, but it gives you a hell rider effect, right? So it, it, it does stuff even if you don't get the additional combat. The only thing holding back is six CMC. But and I mean, is six CMC in like trades with Uro like six CMC? <laughs> it, it does. It does trade with Uro, but like you can like win just if they like they they decide they want to. Well, I don't know why they would attack, but yeah, like, <laughs> this this can definitely win the game when you have that new Nahiri's Lithomancy spell, right? Like it, it it on its own. If you give it like, or I guess no, because all the if you cast the Lithomancy on the second main, then. Would it then give you, let's just say you had six lands entered. Does that mean you get six combat steps? Yeah, the game yes. is over. <laughs> so yeah, like so this on its own in a green-red ramp shell where let's say you go Azusa, Rada, right? You have Azusa, Rada on board, and then you just keep dropping a bunch of lands right there, like in the second main. Like you get to just pretty much kill them, right? If they tap out and they have no blockers, they're dead. Pretty much, yeah. Like, I feel like if you untap with this, you should just be able to win the game. If your deck is, like, built around it at all to make the land drops, it should be pretty much you untap with it and win the game. I think the question in standard is, can you untap with a six drop? Like, uh, is the game going to still be going? Like, what's I mean, the, does your opponent have removal? So I think that's the question I have in standard, because it is one of the, like, in some well, sense, Heroic it's a Intervention little... can keep it alive, and you're already <laughs> ramping, right? So... Yeah, I mean, if you get up to eight mana, yeah. Well, so I, I ask it's, you it's, this. It's not, what if you it's not replaced... hard to get to eight mana in this standard, is what I mean. <laughs> what if <laughs> you replace true. Morag with Uro and Ugin? <laughs> is it a better <laughs> deck or a worse deck? <laughs> Using the same <laughs> ramp shell. <laughs> <laughs> I think in, that's the in, main contention, right? Like, if you're going to spend all this time ramping and doing all this stuff, should you just play Ugin or should you play Morag? I, you know, like, Ugin technically requires more turns to win the game. If if I untap with Morag, there's a chance I could just win the game right there. Yeah. I like, don't know if that's true, though, because you know, the way I play... Decks. 
the way I play against Dugan, it wins the game as soon as it hits the stack because I'm conceding. So Dugan, oh, win, Dugan wins way quicker. It doesn't even take a turn or part of a turn. <laughs> I think Dugan's winning not because of its effects, but because you just played an eight mana spell on turn four. And people are just conceding on that and that alone. All right. Uh, let's talk about another red mythic. Leyline Tyrant. Four red red. So four CMC. It's a dragon, it's a 4-4, flying. You don't lose unspent red mana as steps and phases end. When Leyline Tyrant dies, you may pay any amount of red. When you do, it deals that much damage to any target. Oh, this card's uh, sweet. Yeah, this card is so cool. I, I love it. It's great in every way. Art, uh, I think it's well-costed for 4 mana. Uh, it's What it does, its ability is pretty cool. Pretty. <laughs> I, I love what, what it's doing here. It's like an upwelling for mountains. Uh, and... and I, I don't know. I mean, I'm throwing this in my commander decks for sure. And in standard, okay, standard, if it gets bounced by like a brazen borrower, it feels kind of bad. But I feel like that's, I'm glad they're going back to that play style though, right? Or design where it, it doesn't do something immediately when it hits the battlefield, which could, you know, make it seem like it's worse than it actually is. Because we've been accustomed to, like, everything entering the battlefield with the Cavaliers and whatnot, and then doing seven things at once when it hits the battlefield. But when you actually look at this, I think it it's pretty cool. I mean, it's a pretty powerful card. It could see play in standard. With once all of, like, once rotation happens, all the power kind of slips away. It's a very powerful card. Yeah, I mean, 4 mana 4-4 four, four flying is good stats. We have definitely seen 4 mana 4-4 four, four dragons be very good. It reminds me of, like, Thunderbreak Regent a little uh, bit that was very good uh, back during that era of standard. How much things have changed and how much the power levels increased, is that still exciting? Uh, I don't know, but the ability does kind of protect it if you can untap with it. Like, once you untap and get to start floating mana and storing it up, worst case, if your opponent ever kills, it, you just deal a ton of damage to them, maybe even kill them. So I like how it has sort of protection built in just from the mana that you have floating. That's going to turn into essentially like a bane fire, like a big uncounterable burn spell. At the yeah. same time, it does need to sit out on the battlefield a bit. Like, you do need a little bit of time to really get it going. So, uh, we'll see if that's a deal-breaker. I think it's definitely super sweet in Commander decks, and expect it to be close to, like, a staple in Commander decks. As far as standard, I'm hopeful that it's going to be good. Like, looking at it, I, th I think they're, like it just seems powerful enough for standard. And, and like, if you top-deck this in the late game, with all your open mana, just, just float all the mana, right? Yeah, like... like if you're playing Gruul mid-range, maybe, but there's no way Mono Red plays this. Like, it dies to Doomblade. I'd rather play Torbrand. You know, I, I don't have enough... Like, if you have any amount of red mana, like, to left over after casting this, like, you've probably lost the game already <laughs> if you're Mono Red. So the best case scenario is 4 mana, 4-4. Four, four. Uh, they, they don't kill it. You untap, you hit them for 4, and now you have 4 floating. And then, uh, you know, they're going to take four if they kill it or eight next turn. But wouldn't you rather just play Torbrand and do the guaranteed plus two damage on all your weenies and, like, actually finish the game? I feel I this mean, is too slow. Yeah, for maybe mono red. Yeah. So I, this has to go, like, but if you're playing Gruul or something, especially with Pathways, how much red can you float now? So, I mean, you know you're going to be red-eccentric <laughs> because, you, like, you want double red for Embercleave. So, I mean, you still want a decent amount of red. Yeah, if I'm going to Embercleave, so, why don't I just get, like, hasty creatures instead of four mana, well, four, four dragons? Well, no, but I mean, like, the, I think this card on its own can just be, like, so, like, it's not going to replace Embercleave, but I am saying that, yeah. like, decks, like, 
that are playing like the the Ember Thieves stuff, they're gonna want double red anyways, right? And I think this is just like a solid card, maybe if not in the main deck, then out of the sideboard because it doesn't have to do a ton of damage. Like when it dies, like if they don't kill this immediately, it will kill them. It will kill them with that like with that dying clause. So. I think this is actually a great card for that and that like specific reason. Uh, but we can, you can say all these things for Elder Gargaroth. Well, no, I, I actually <laughs> right like if El- you untap and attack with this thing, attack. like the game is over, right? But like it never happens in reality, right? No, I mean I I I I, I win through the Gargaroth swings actually. That still still feels kind of, well in standard. Wait, you've attacked know, with I, an Elder Gargaroth before? This is amazing. Oh, I, I've I've been <laughs> I've been that? attacked and then and then I and then I I won. So like. The thing here is Gargaroth, I feel like, because I can just kill it, right? And that that's that. But if I kill this, that's a huge problem, right? Because it's not just a simple dying and then it goes away. It dies think, and then it blows me up for another, like, ten damage or something. Unless you kill it right away. Yeah, and I think right. the other thing is, like, it is soft to bounce. It is soft to exile. So there are, like, ways around it. I don't... I'm hopeful that it's good in standard, but I'm kind of on the fence as to just how good it'll be. I do think, like... It's something I would definitely want to play in Commander decks, though, for sure. All right. Uh, next up, we have Nighthawk Scavenger. One black Whoa! black. It's a vampire rogue. Its power and toughness is one plus star slash three. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Flying Death Touch Lifelink. Nighthawk Scavenger's power is equal to one plus a number of card types among cards in your opponent's graveyard. I just, I just want to say, imagine not knowing magic. And then seeing this, it's like, why is there a math problem on the bottom right of a card? <laughs> but, but this it's essentially card, like Tarmogoyf power for your opponent's graveyard. Uh, yeah, only this. This I is think this is, card good? I think I will definitely play this card because it's a rogue, and on top of that, I think it's it's got the flying death touch life link. It's the vampire nighthawk part of it that I love. Um, so I'm, I think it's, it's not bad. I, I think it's, it's decent in, uh, like once rotation happens, there's like, there's so many good threats that I'm pretty sure people's removal will be taxed. <laughs> I, I like this card. I'm going to play it. I think it's powerful in rogues, like a rogue style deck. I think this card's good too. I think, uh, I mean, all you need is one card in your opponent's graveyard and you have vampire nighthawk, which is still a pretty decent card. Like, maybe not as good as it was 10 years ago, but Vampire Nighthawk is not that far away from being good, and you get a lot of upside build-in, where this can definitely be a 7-3 or something. So I think as far as standard is concerned, in Historic, and maybe even Pioneer in Vampire decks, or even, like, Mono Black Aggro style decks, I think it's really good. I do think... I've had some people ask me about Modern, I think it's like stone unplayable in modern. Oh yeah, it's, I think it's awful. with lightning bolt running around and the toughness not growing. I don't think it's playable in modern, even though it looks a little goyfish. But uh, I think for other formats, <laughs> Yo, it's really strong. Is playable. <laughs> <laughs> like uh, in standard, this is I think good. I mean, like thinking of thieves uh, guild enforcer I, to kind of already mill, right? <laughs> you and your outside of some weird rogue or vampire deck. I don't think this is good enough. Like. You will put in your side of the board, right? Like if Mono Red runs up against this and we don't have a lightning bolt in the format, this is bad news for Mono Red. (laughs) But if this is just like a three mana two three, or even say a three three, I think it's like still unplayable. Like it doesn't do enough for three mana. 
Really, even with lifelink and death touch and all that, like you think that's not that's not uh, enough uh, anymore. Like it's only relevant if you're playing against mono red. Like, uh, what's the three mana lifelink dog hate card? Canaros. Uh, Canaros. Yeah, like it's like nothing, right? Like who cares, right? Like it's not a thing, right? And if it's a like if it's a one three because your opponent hasn't played anything yet, it's like terrible, right? Like you can't be aggressive with it. If it's a two three, still can't block questing beast, right? It has to get to a three three. Uh, and then it's still only three, three toughness. It like dies to everything. Like you just really are hoping to slam it against mono red and have it be a four three and like two or three for one of them, right? So I don't think it's playable outside of sideboard slots. I, I mean, outside of like a rogue deck, I, I guess, yeah, maybe, maybe not there or like, but, but the synergies that it has in a rogue deck, I think is really good. <laughs> I, what is I, this I, mythical rogue deck we keep talking it's, about? It's, it's, I swear, it's gotta be real. It's gotta be real after this set. I believe. Look at how many rogues there are. I'm going out of, I'm going crazy over here looking at all this. This is great. I will say it also is a little awkward with Uro's running around because Uro, your opponent just like naturally gets to control their graveyard so they can exile the right card types and keep it pretty small thanks to their Uro's, which I think Maybe that's a big vote against it, too. It's not like in our current standard, cards just stay in the graveyard. Thanks to Escape, it seems like they leave the graveyard pretty quickly once they're in there. Unless you're able to constantly refill that graveyard. <laughs> but then aren't you just milling your opponent into Uros and cards to cast them, Krim? Like, can your rogue deck beat Uro every turn since you're filling the graveyard for them? Yes. It just can't beat Nissa. It just can't beat Nissa's. I mean, like, okay, so E2 Extinction has stock has just like skyrocketed for me. So I've been playing four of those. Like, it, it's just, it's exiling whatever I needed to exile. And, and exile is just at an all time high when it comes to importance. So yeah, I, I, I think you can. Like, once rotation happens, a lot of power does leave. So if you can just focus your deck to deal with Uro, I'm, I I don't know. I like it. I like it does it. trade with an Uro. <laughs> it does so trade it's, with Uro. It's one plus guarantees that it will trade with anything aside from like maybe a questing beast that it can't block if it's a 1-3. Uh, but I, I feel like it's it's a defensive card. It's a super defensive card. So maybe like control decks would play it. Uh, maybe you sideboard it in. Uh, but the fact that like if you play a 3-mana 1-3 flying death touch lifelink and hit your opponent, that's like a 20 turn clock. Right? Like, it does nothing. Like, it doesn't do anything. So, it's like a blocker. So, when you want a lifelink death-touching blocker, then here you go, right? I mean, Gifted Aetherborn still sees a lot of play. I know it's not, like, a a direct comparison, but, like, that sees a lot of play in Historic and Pioneer. So, I feel like Nighthawk Scavenger, I feel like it's better than you're giving it credit for, Richard. Maybe it's not quite as good as Mr. Rogue. (laughs) Mr. Rogue. (laughs) Somewhere between me and Krim's evaluation. Yes, I think right in the middle of that is is where I'll go. (laughs) (laughs) All right, here is a contested card that we were speculating about last week. Feed the Swarm. One in a black sorcery. Destroy target creature or enchantment. And opponent controls, you lose life equal to that permanence converted mana cost. Did, Hate did, it. did I call it on the, on the, like, <laughs> right on the dot that it would make you lose life equal to its CMC? <sighs> I thought you said, like, three times its CMC or something, <laughs> but. No, no, no. It, the, I, I thought the card would cost three times more than it does, because it's only two mana. 
It's a disenchant. It's a black disenchant. I think we were like, nah, they would never pull a black better disenchant. Than disenchant. Okay, it would be better than disenchant if there was a creature. <laughs> yeah, this is too good. I think it's amazing. Uh, I, I agree. It is. It is very good. Like the oh, downside of enchantment removal is it's enchantment removal, right? So if your opponent doesn't play enchantments, it does nothing. But now it's hundred percent mitigated by the fact that you can kill a creature. So I would but take I mean, this there's, over. There's... Like if this was instant speed, it would probably be the greatest like enchantment removal of all time. But because it's sorcery speed, uh, you know, it, it's slightly worse. But this is like a really good card for black like you would not be embarrassed to play this right so like is black the best enchantment removal creature or enchantment <laughs> removal color now like almost I mean, did, you, did you see broken like what is it broken wings like i mean that that's that's like a or there's something that like hits all like three things right like if you choose between artifact enchantment or creature with flying that's cool right <laughs> that's it's a lot like that kind of so i, know, I, I feel think like this Marlon did point ability. out, you can't kill your own packs, right? It's only your opponent's permanence. So they're like, yeah. oh, we kept the flavor. You can't kill your own demonic pact. <laughs> I mean, this is, like, surprisingly is main deckable, right? Like, because it has that creature removal on there, like, if enchantments, like last year's meta, when fires oh. and wilderness were running around, yeah. wouldn't you just, like, play this as your main removal spell or something in your mono black deck so you can, like, kill a creature and deal with stuff like that? Yeah, 100%. Um, if we were talking about that, that meta, but moving into new standard, I don't know about that. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see where it lands. It looks like we might not have as many powerful enchantments this time. The build around enchantments. What do you think about commander? Is this just like in every one of your mono black decks? Oh yeah. And then like also what, like in, (laughs) for like decks in modern and whatnot, like eight rack decks and Grixis decks and stuff like that. Now you don't just stone cold lose to an enchantment, like a ley line, uh, all like what, like, you know, any of that stuff. And it feels nice to like be in mono black. My, uh, my demons deck can now finally destroy some dreaded enchantments. <laughs> I feel like Mono Black should lose to enchantments. I might just be the old man yelling at the cloud, but I think that's a feature rather than a bug, that if you're going to be Mono Black and Thought Seize me a million times, at least I get to leyline you and be like, haha, take that, Thought Seize. Like, and now I can't do it <laughs> They can anymore. only fix this by you know printing what, you circle know protection. You know what ruined it for me? <laughs> or for wh- why I have no sympathy? Veil of Summer. As long as green can draw cards and counter spells... <laughs> I don't, I don't, the color pie is no longer a factor, right? Because green has ruined it for everybody by because, like, Hydra Crisis draws cards, Veil of Summer counterspells and draw cards, black can have enchantment removal. Just say it. So, so, so every, every color does everything. Every land is also a spell. (laughs) I I don't know if I like where we're heading. Like, I don't know if I like this path that we're going down. (laughs) Lands Uh. don't matter. Colors don't matter. (laughs) Nothing matters. It's the most, like, nihilistic year of magic. Like, ah, oh, Yeah, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We're running long, so let's do one more preview. Uh, you can check out the rest of the previews on mtgpreviews.com. Uh, but let's talk about Akiri Fearless Voyager, because I'm curious what you guys think about this card. One red a and a white. 3-3. Three, three. Legendary creature Core Warrior. Whenever you attack a player with one or more equipped creatures, draw a card. Uh, white, you may unattach an equipment from a creature you control. If you do, tap that creature. It gains indestructible until end of turn. 
I'm already upset. I just feel like Sunforger somewhere just made me upset. <laughs> uh, but I mean, yeah, like, of course it doesn't cast the spell, but I think this card is really good, right, for Commander. <laughs> um, yeah, but great Boros Equipment Commander. It might be the best Boros Equipment Commander because you get the card draw from each player that you attack. So you can potentially be drawing three extra cards a turn. So I think in Commander, I think you play an equipment deck and it might be the best Boros equipment commander, which is weird because you'd assume Boros has like good equipment commanders because it's like kind of one of the equipment colors. Good good at anything for a long time. (laughs) But they really don't. There's good mono white ones and there's good like Selesnia ones, but there's not good Boros equipment commanders. So I really like it for Commander. What about Standard? Any, I, any chance? So, what, from what we've seen so far, do we see an equipment deck happening? Yeah, that's my question. So, we have Nahiri. We have this thing. Yeah. Uh, don't we have... Uh, what is it? Maul of the Skyclaves. It's a three-mana. Yeah. Uh, it auto-attaches when it enters a battlefield. Plus two, plus two, flying first strike. Equip is four. That's, like, decent. That's not good enough for you to, like, play an equipment deck, though, right? Like, because, I mean... Come on. You, you I, just I, need, I, like, a cheap equip. So what you do is you drop a Kiri on turn four, and then you basically have Bogles, right? You cannot kill a Kiri anymore. Uh, you can just unattach something, and then every combat you're drawing cards. Like, is the game not over? Yeah, like, I mean... If, if, as long as there's some, like, semi-playable <laughs> equipment. Shadow Spear can also start making an appearance if that ever gets too out of hand, but also Extinction Event gets around indestructible already and that's pretty popular i mean and you got you got ember cleave too like yeah. it wouldn't be that hard to be boros with ember cleave and play this like drawing an extra card each turn is good like that that's powerful in your I, mean, I, I, I like the indestructible clause i feel that's like super strong so both of these combined plus it's a three mana three three there's gotta be like someone someone give me a skull clamp <laughs> give me <laughs> Give me like a, the only equipment I want, right? That, that's like if there was a batter skull or something, or a sword or something, like like really good equipment. Uh, but, I think that would why? make this you deck viable. You could just viable. kill somebody I with Embercleave. <laughs> you need I think lots of creatures, con- though. I I think that's a concern. Like Akiri is a strong card, but will equipment be strong enough in standard for it to see play, or is it just kind of in the realm of commander uh, because you know equipment are good there? So I think that's the catch. Like if equipment are good, I think Akiri will probably be a part of it. Still not a hundred percent sold on equipment deck actually being good enough. I'm not sure if the like pump spell equipment that we're seeing. In Zendikar, where you get one free equip and kind of it's a sorcery speed pump spell, but then it's expensive to re-equip. Like, is that enough to make equipment playable in standard? I think it helps, but is it enough? Uh, I don't, I don't know. Maybe? Like, would you play those, uh, would you play those as pump spells? Probably not, because actually every equipment we've seen so far has that clause on it. You get the first equip for free, and then you have to pay more than you would expect to reattach it, so... I mean, maybe it might be able to happen. All right. Uh, we're running long, so we'll cut off the previews there. Uh, next week, we will have all of the previews and the commander decks. So yes. uh, you can check out the rest of them on the website. Uh, but we'll move on to fish mail now. So if you have questions, you can send them to at MTGGoldfish with the hashtag MTGFishMail and get to your questions on air. All right. At Bicycle. Three colors can kill enchantments. 
would it instead be better to take artifact removal? Oh wait, three can three colors can kill enchantments. Three can kill artifacts. Would it be better to take artifact removal away from one so it's balanced two to two? Flavor wise, it makes most sense for white to lose it as red green are less about <laughs> civilization. I I think right now taking away from from white and magic is is the opposite of what we need to do. But I don't. Uh, understand why everyone's caught up on this balance thing like why why is that why is all of a sudden we've had 27 years of magic for 26 years the same thing was true two colors are good at killing enchantments three are good at killing artifacts and i never once heard anyone say oh there's unbalance in this and that's a big issue in magic then all of a sudden in the last week i've heard that from like a million people is there a big <laughs> reason why black should get <laughs> enchantment removal so i i don't really understand the obsession with having because a balanced amount of colors killing artifacts and enchantments. I I really don't get it. Have you not watched Avengers Endgame? Balance is all things should be. <laughs> of course right. I haven't, Krim. <laughs> okay, you're right. Sorry, okay, I, don't you watched Star Wars. I don't know what I thought I was going to get. <laughs> <laughs> that new anime, Avengers uh, Endgame. <laughs> uh, like, I, I think I think it's great. I, I mean, it's it depends how it's done, right? If it's just like destroy target artifact or enchantment that's way different right but it's it's still flavorful in the way that black got enchantment removal i like it yeah i don't so wizards does it because it's easy right the easiest way to balance the colors is to make them basically all the same right which is what i don't like right like if you're like oh black's not being played because they don't have any you know uh enchantment removal well we'll just give it to them rather than you know having black strengths whatever that is like be strong enough to overcome its deficits right and i think we enjoy that style more but i don't know like i i actually enjoy white not having card draw right like white has to get its advantages other ways but now wizards just like well we'll just give it some card draw right now we'll give black some enchantment removal and then next year we'll give it some i don't know we'll we'll give like you forgot to red some graveyard cards. hate or something right because why not right because there's too many earls in the format red needs to exile cards from the graveyard like they're just gonna slowly make all the colors look the same because it's the easiest way to balance the game right so uh yeah but i, I kind of like why, why why have you not named any of the green cards that broke the color pie why yeah, have you green, <laughs> green was the one that disrupted the force and now thank you just trying to make yep. everyone catch up right Thank you. All right. As long as that's clarified. I mean, we all know I, green I, does everything. <laughs> I feel like there's a big imbalance between what colors can play uncounterable hexproof threats. I think we need to expand <laughs> that, that part of the color pie into uh, a few other colors. I, I mean, you joke, but for some reason, blue has a stronghold on the stack. No one else does anything with the stack but blue, right? Like, Veil of Summer doesn't technically touch the stack, although it affects it, but... Everyone else oh, is getting their camera the removal taken, but give give me the black counter spell, right? Like, why not, right? Like, I mean, mana tithe already existed, so you know the you, one you had white card that can counter <laughs> guttural response. That was a counter spell. <laughs> Pyroblast. <laughs> yes, we're naming cards from 1995. <laughs> this is guttural exactly... response is not from 1995. <laughs> uh, but yeah, okay. Uh, last question. I'm choosing really, really hard here. Uh, uh, okay. Gregory Emmon. How much stronger do you think Path and Blood Moon are going to get with the printing of Boltlands? Some decks are already running no basics. Will they replace? Will they drop different not basics? 
that's a pretty um, good if you get path and don't get a land out of it you feel really bad so is it worth yeah. putting the bolt land into your deck i mean i think you still play basics though right like i mean just like you gotta you still gotta play some amount of basics I think, especially in formats like Modern, I think it matters less in Standard, like, then I'm not really sure how you're getting punished, but I think in Modern, I don't think these new lands, especially considering only the Mythics come into play untapped, I don't think they're going to replace, like, fetching up shock lands and basic lands. Like, I think in Modern, you're going to have kind of the same core of your mana base, maybe with a little bit less as far as number of shock lands and fetch lands and basic lands. And then these are going to supplement. So I think you still got to have some number of basics, like, you know, Ghost Quarter's a thing, Field of Ruin, Path to Exile are a thing, Blood Moon is definitely a thing. So you still have to keep a functional mana base in Modern because there are ways to get uh, get punished if you get too greedy and try to go all in on these uh, new double-faced modal lands. It's okay, Seth. I no longer fear Blood Moon. I can remove it with black. <laughs> <laughs> That's yes, the reason that I'm upset about that. My Just Blood Moons keep swap. getting worse. <laughs> no longer will you get me when I tap out. <laughs> All right. Uh, that's all time we have for Fishmill this week. We had to cut it short because we have so many previews. Uh, if you have questions, be sure to resend them for next week uh, to at MTGGoldfish with the hashtag MTGFishmill, and we'll get to your questions on air. And I believe that brings us to the end of episode 293 of the MTG Goldfish podcast. So, Richard, Krim, thanks for hanging out. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Thanks to Tigtoad for supporting the show. And we will be back next week to talk about the rest of Zendikar Rising, the Zendikar Rising Commander decks, Mythic Invitational, whatever else goes down in the world of magic. So, until then, have a wonderful week. And this is the crew signing out. Bye.